It's Wednesday the 9th of December. Welcome to our Afternoon Sport Deep Dive. I'm Tim Gilbert and you can watch me on Weekend Edition Sky News Saturdays and Sundays and I'm joined by a man that was a precocious talent. He still is. His name is Shane Lee. How are you, Shana? I'm great, Timmy. Once again, lots to talk about today, mate. We've got some fantastic guests on the show. Lots of cricket to talk about. It's a busy, busy day in sport. Yeah, it's amazing what we're going to talk about today. We're going to try and squeeze it into our time frame. Cricket, love more Nadu. Now, a boxing, uh, of course, three times world t- champion and seven university degrees. What a story. John Stephenson, break dancing at the Olympics. He'll preview some of the boxing that is coming up. This is Afternoon Sport. Well, it's all about the cricket, Shane Lee. Let's start with last night and uh, Australia got across the line back in the winners list and boy, it was good to see a good crowd. It was fantastic to see and good to see Australia. No clean sweep for the Indians. So it gives Australia a little bit of confidence now going in to the Test Series. Look, some really, really good performances. Uh, Matthew Wade, 80 at the top of the order. And Maxwell, once again, 54 of only 58 balls. And he also took one for 20 off three overs. Fantastic. Coley with his 85. But the real star for me was um, Andrew Ty. Uh, he only took one for 31 or four overs, but he bowled beautifully towards the death. Mitchell Swepson, the leg spinner, three for 23. I suppose took the best figures off four overs. And Zampa as well, one for 21 off three. So Australia, really, really good performance. It was, wasn't it? And, and to see the crowd, I know it was a bit more like One Keddie Stadium or Eden Gardens because the, the majority of the crowd was Indian, but the atmosphere, electric. Yeah, it was. And I think it's a really bizarre thing when you play in Australia against India, most of the crowd is blue. So it's a lot of supporters all around the world for the Indian cricket team. And they always bring a, a cheerful approach to the match. So it's, um, yeah, really, really good atmosphere. And as you said, coming out of a pandemic, it's, it's good to see that real live atmosphere happening again. It's really magical, isn't it, the modified version of the game? And I know that some people still push back against it, but it brings a lot of the young people to the game. I know just watching it last night, my 11-year-old, who loves all things sport, but they gravitate to people like Glenn Maxwell. Look, they do. And the beautiful thing about T20 cricket with a shorter version, you know, the average score is around 180 to 200. So 180 to 200, you can, you can physically score 36 runs off one over. So most matches come down to the last over. I think it's about 78% of matches come down to the last over. So the crowd are always involved. The Indians are the best team in the world, so it's a really good effort from the young guys, the young Aussies there to, to, to snatch a victory back. We lost the series saying that, but um, bring on the test series now, mate. I think it's one of the only times I've seen Steve Smith drop a catch. It was it was in the outfield. He normally swallows things, but it just shows all people are human. He is human, yeah. He's a great fielder. Um, but yeah, I, I thought we, we, we did field really well. We took us a couple of really good key catches as well to, to turn the game. But yeah, young Andrew Ty, I thought he bowled really, really well. And for him, it was a really big step up in that Australian team. All right. Now, let, let's look at this tour game because it was, you know, great for Green, but really dramatic again for Will Pukowski. And uh, he took a hit on the head and mild concussion. Yeah, it's a tough one, this. Um, as you said, really good performances. Cameron Green, 125, not out, and two for 12. Like He bowls seriously, serious pace, that kid. Um, Steckity, in the second innings, a big Queenslander. He bowls a bit like Andrew Flintoff, actually. He took five for 37. Then it was down to the, our two opening batsmen, Burns, who scored another duck. I think he's only got 57 runs for the entire season. He cannot play. So what do you do with Burns? Can, do you, you can't you pick can't, Burns, you can't can you? He scored 57 runs for the entire season. Bukowski... Like, he scored over 500. But saying that, as you said, he got hit on the head again, mild concussion, and went off. Jesus, 
I don't know what's going through this poor kid's head now. Like he's going to be feeling doubt. If I was the selectors, I just walk up and hopefully he's okay. There's, there's no concussion or ongoing issues there. But I, I just say to the kid, mate, you're in first test. You're playing. Relax now. Go out there and just do your thing. Well, there seems like there's enough time beforehand. He was able to to walk off the field. So no, neither of us are doctors, so he can't go and diagnose. But he's certainly done enough as a cricketer at this point to be selected. But, uh, you know, there's going to be some fairly stringent protocols that he's going to have to meet because he's not going to play in this tour game. But, you know, if he was available medically, you'd pick him. 100%. One guy, one smoky now is Harris. Harris ended up 25 not out, the left-hander who, who's opened the batting for Australia before. At the start of the summer, he was probably fourth or fifth in line. If he scores a couple of runs in this next game, there's a good chance he might just sneak in there. So um, it's still way open, the opening position, which is, or do we move someone like Wade to opener or even head to opener and, and then put Cameron Green in the middle order? I'm not sure. This is interesting, Cameron Green, isn't it? Very exciting because, you know, you look at him and you're thinking people, like, and I, like I don't want to get ahead of myself because I know that he's only young and, uh, you know, test cricket's a, a difficult beast to master. But you think of Hadley, Dev, these kinds of blokes because he batted so beautifully to get, what, 140, I think it was. And then, as you say, he was ripping it through at, at 145 k's an hour with the ball. Yeah, and gets a lot of bounce. At 200 centimetres, he's he's a huge lad. What I like about him is, is just his persona. He doesn't get overawed. He was really patient when he batted. Bowling, he doesn't overcomplicate things. He's got a very simple action. Saying that, like young bowlers around the age of 21, as long as he can keep his back right, because you, your bones don't really harden until you're about 23 to 25 as a fast bowler. So if he can stay injury-free... This kid could earn tens of millions of dollars in the coming 10 years in cricket. Yeah, because he can, he can be used in every form, can't he? Sure can, yeah. Great great player and a great prospect for Australia. What about the Indian Test team? What, what, what are your thoughts early? We know that Coley's leaving, but uh, look, we're going to see different players come into this team for this first Test match, and we're not that far away. Uh, what, what do you make of them as a, as a Test team? Well, look, they're a quality team, and, and they play around Coley, of course. He's going to make, want to make sure that he gets a big score in his first test because he's going away for the second test. Watching that Australia A game, the oval at Dremoyne bounced quite a bit. And when it bounces, the Indian batsmen don't necessarily like it as much. And that's where that Steckity was really, really good, I thought. And, you know, I'd even be considering um, with the bounce and the pace that he gets to potentially, he could take Josh Hazelwood's spot. I know that's a massive call. But he really pushed him back and roughed him up and, and put him under pressure. And they didn't look comfortable at all. The first one's going to be under lights with a pink ball, so it's going to swing. But, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see the, the, the challenge between bat and ball this summer. Jermaine Oval. Let's, let's move away from uh, the serious stuff of the day. What was the finest moment for Shane Lee with the blonde tips at Jermaine Oval? I've got a few hundreds there, but that was many moons ago now, mate. It was always a really nice place to play. You're right on the water there. There's a little sea breeze coming in. And the canteen had really nice sandwiches too. I love those sandwiches down there. They're nice fresh salad sandwiches. <laughs> so, mate, You would have given them a caning, wouldn't oh, you? Mate, you know about it, Timmy. 
Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm standing in front of you. Don't worry. I've got my hands in the air. I'm fading away to a block of flats over here. So I know I love my tooth. I did a, a charity golf day yesterday and uh, they had the prosciutto. I tell you what, I sort of ate half a kilo in the first one minute. But uh, we do digress. Um, all right, buddy. Well, let's get into this show because we've got some really interesting chats today. Love More Nadu isn't far away. This is a fascinating story, this, isn't it? Look, this is a movie waiting to happen. This guy started in South Africa. He learned to fight just to survive, and the guy has six or seven degrees now um, as a lawyer. Amazing story. Yeah, huge story. This is Afternoon Sport with Shane Lee and Tim Gilbert. And yes, yes, I eat more than he does. Don't worry, I do absolutely. See you soon. Afternoon Sport, and uh, look, it's a real treat, Shane Lee, to be joined by a man who has lived an extraordinary life. It, it began in South Africa just under 50 years ago, ended in Australia, and uh, of course, his boxing career was remarkable, but what he's done since, even more so. Let's say hello to Lovemore Nadu. How are you, Lovemore? I'm very good, thanks, and how are you? Lovemore, um, you grew up in South Africa and Zimbabwe. You ended up with three world titles. I read that you started to fight just to protect yourself. Is that, is that true? That's correct. No, not just to protect myself, but to protect my family as well. You know, um, growing up, uh, you know, during apartheid South Africa, um, you know, we were faced with a lot of atrocities. But, you know, the other thing too, as a child growing up, I had serious anger issues. It all had to do, you know, with the environment that I grew up in, being poor and being treated as a subspecies. So that didn't help because then pretty much every teenager used to walk around with a knife or a gun. Had I not changed my attitude, you know, I'd probably be dead today or maybe locked up in jail. So this is where I always tell people, you know, I'm very, very grateful to boxing because boxing changed me as a person. Uh, I used to try all kinds of sports. I took up sports as a way for me, you know, to get away from poverty. And I thought it could be a ticket out of uh, apartheid South Africa someday. But, you know, um, I was really good at soccer, but I didn't last long in the field because I used to get into fights all the time. And then I'll get kicked out. Yeah, it, it sounds like it sounds like love more. You got you got into the right sport uh, when you were growing up in South Africa. As you mentioned, it was apartheid, so um, you started boxing for those very pragmatic reasons. But you couldn't compete outside the shores of South Africa because of that exact reason. Despite having gone on and won three world titles, today I still feel like something is missing. The opportunity to represent my own country you know, at the Olympic Games. We couldn't do that because South Africa was banned from international competition due to its practice of apartheid. So yeah, you know, I, I feel something important is missing, which is why today you know, I'm always trying to help out any African fighter that's trying to get to the Olympics. As I speak to you, you know, I'm currently sponsoring you know, the Zimbabwe Tokyo Olympic boxing team. Because to me, personally, I think it's a big dream for anyone. It doesn't get any better than going to the Olympics. Sure. Love, love, how does someone end up with three boxing titles and seven university degrees? You are a serious overachiever, mate. <laughs> <laughs> By beating up people and studying hard. <laughs> Look, it wasn't easy. You know. you know, it all comes down to perseverance and determination. Sport is a very short-time career, so you got to have something to fall back on. You know, there are so many sad stories in boxing. People finish up their careers with nothing, and you know, they end up committing crimes just to survive. So I, 
I was trying to avoid that. Yeah, and, and leaving South Africa, tell us about that. You obviously had the dream, but you'd, I'd, I'd imagine growing up in the fashion in which you did, it, it must have been just a dream for a long time to, to get out of where you were. Oh, yeah. I knew sports would be my ticket out of apartheid South Africa. But this is the thing. Um, I left South Africa just after it became a democratic state. The reason being, you know, I, I didn't really believe that things were going to change. I knew it took a long time. So I, I decided I was going to leave. I came to Australia in 95 just for one fight. I recall I fought a local kid who's an indigenous boy. His name was Cliff Samadhi. But something touched me when I came to this country. The thing is, when I left South Africa, I did a bit of research about Australia. And, and I recall reading about Australia. I used to have, you know, the Keep Australia white policy. So I pretty much thought our public get treated the same way I'm treated in South Africa. But when I came here, people treated me as another human being. They didn't see color in me. So I loved it. And, and I recall going back to South Africa and telling, you know, I was married then, telling, you know, my wife, we're moving to Australia. And then the following year, we moved to Australia, and I've been here since then. Mate, that's, that's good to hear. So you're a practicing lawyer now. Do you have aspirations of potentially returning to your homeland one day and going to politics? That's correct. I feel I could help bring changes in South Africa. I'm, I'm not happy with the current situation. There's so much corruption in South Africa, and the funny thing about it is it's so open. You know, They do it so openly because... They, they don't care, you know, they don't answer to anyone. They, they law upon themselves. So that, that needs to be changed. You know, if we are going to tackle crime, the first thing we need to tackle is corruption. I always tell people South Africa is not a poor country. South Africa is poor because it's been poorly governed. You know, if we can change that, you know, and create opportunities for people, create jobs for people, and we can do that because South Africa is full of national resources. So it can be done. You create jobs for people, then you stop crime. Love more. You're an absolute inspiration, and we could talk to you, I think, for, for, for hours on this. And as Shane mentioned earlier, your life is a movie. There is a book being written called Tough Love, and I'm going to ask you, or we'll ask you about that in just a tick. But what about Nelson Mandela? How much of a, an inspiration was he to you? You know, my whole life revolves around what Nelson Mandela did. You know, this is what really saddens me today. You know, all this hard work he did. That the man sacrificed 27 years in jail, you know. But then at the end of the day, you get people in all his way going down the drain. That's what really kills me, which is why I say, you know, I, I intend to go back to South Africa one day and continue fighting the good fight uh, that Mandela was fighting in the past. So tell us about your book, Tough Love. Uh, I would say, you know, the big message behind the book is that nothing is impossible. I tell people about all the the difficulties that I faced as a child. and But that didn't stop me chasing my dream. You know, you look at me today, I'm probably the most educated boxer that I ever lived. The same, you know, in boxing, I got sidelined many times. And I was sitting at number two in the world at one stage. And for two years, the title was changing hands, you know, while I was just sitting there and waiting. But that didn't stop me, you know. Uh, I continued and eventually I won three world titles. So... That's the biggest message I'm trying to send in my book, to try and inspire other people and motivate them and make them realize that, you know, in life you are going to find challenges. But, you know, you shouldn't let that stop you from changing your dreams. We all have dreams, but a dream will always remain a dream if you don't chase it and pursue it. 
Absolutely. And uh, look, you've chased your dreams and you continue to chase them. Look, it sounds like a fantastic Christmas present. Tough love, the, the life of Love More Nadu. And uh, from all of us here on Afternoon Sport, mate, it's been a real delight to have a chat. Thank you for having me on the program. Love More, just one last question. Yes. If someone was to play you in a movie, who would you like to play you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I was thinking Jamie Foxx, but it's getting a bit old. <laughs> okay, that, that can be a mission. We'll go find someone and uh, get the right person. Love more. Uh, have a lovely Christmas with you and the family. Thank you. God bless. There he is. Love more. Nadu, afternoon sport. What an amazing story his is. Coming up next, there's plenty of boxing actually just around the corner. And to get his preview, plus breakdancing at the Olympics. Can you believe it? John Stephenson. Breakdancing in the Olympic team. Since I was a boy, that was my dream. So listen up here to this report. We're talking Tokyo on Afternoon Sport. Afternoon Sport, I tell you what, we're just having so much fun and, and really digging deep, aren't we, Shane, in sports that we all love that don't often get the time to talk about too much. Sure do, mate. And one of them today is a bit about breakdancing, mate. Or oh, they call it breaking. So breakdance apparently is the media term. It's called breaking. And if you do it, you're a breaker. Well, yeah, it, it's now an Olympic sport. Did you do much of that in Oak Flats? Did you sort of have the stonewashed jeans and, and the appropriate attire? Look, I did. I remember as a school production, I went in for the swan dive and I busted my chin open. I think I had four <laughs> stitches in my chin. Um, and I had the slowest worm back then. I think they called it a slug. <laughs> that sounds like my gymnastics career. I blew the pommel on the first bounce, knocked myself out and end up at uh, Auburn Hospital. <laughs> but the, a guy that no doubt can break dance and, uh, of course, an Olympic silver medalist, world champion, Commonwealth gold medalist. He's done it all. John Stephenson, were you a breaker? Hey, Timmy. What's going on, Shane? Listen, did you, did you, I don't know if you guys remember when I won Commonwealth Games. Did you see my post-race celebration? I nailed I should have won two gold medals at night if if if, if that was the Olympic Games. <laughs> I'm dead set serious. And if you look at Usain Bolt, he might be like 18 times gold medalist because you see how he danced after every race. So I don't know, man. I think this is an absolute joke, man. That's just my feelings. I don't know how breakdancing could be in the Olympic Games. Um, I can only think that they're trying to appeal to another demographic, um, which will bring in better, I mean, a different style and type of audience as Olympics uh, progresses for years to come, which is it's going to be around for many, many years. But think about it, man. Imagine if MC Hammer makes a comeback and you see him at the Olympic Games for USA. Think about that for a second. <laughs> well, apparently the Japanese are the best in the world. So, you know, there's some competition out there. Um, I think we might go scooting out Western Sydney and see if we can track any talent down before uh, the 2024 <laughs> Olympics, mate. Imagine if we have a gold rush like we had back in the day with swimming, but it's in breakdancing. We become a nation known for breakdancing. It's just there's so many, there's so many great storylines to this, you know. But as in all seriousness, being an ex-athlete, who has gone to Olympic Games for like one of the most I mean, iconic and purest Olympic sports, which is running, to then, you know, yeah, that break dancing is in, I, I don't know, man. I, I'm not a massive fan, but hey, I'll watch it. I'll tell you what, I, I know about break dancing and I can't quite understand why it's there. Now, let, let's look at some boxing. Johnny, there's some big bouts coming up. Oh, how good is this, Tim? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this weekend, uh, especially with Mark Hunt and, and, and Paul Gallen. I think I honestly reckon that, that Paul will win the fight. Yes, Mark, his favourite. Uh, his pedigree is unbelievable when it comes to heavyweight fighting. But I think the younger, sharper guy in Gallon will, will get the win. But um, And then you got uh, young, young young Timmy Zhu fighting Bowen Brown from, from New Zealand. And look, I think Tim's got too much skill. I think he's a hard worker. And I, I just question whether Bowen can come in and, and trouble Tim from the outside. 
but I reckon it's going to be a great night of fighting. And then you got young Brocky Jarvis fighting this weekend down in Canberra, which is a big fight for the Australian title um, against a young boy by the name of Sleeve. And uh, and I think Brocky will be too big for him. I know he's struggling with his with his weight at the moment, trying to get down to weight, but um, they got the weigh-in in two more days. But yeah, really looking forward to the fights this weekend. You know, I love my boxing guys. Yeah, um, Zoo, the the guy fighting Zoo, uh, the New Zealander, he. He's not quite a few guys out, hasn't he? No, he's he's the real deal. Do not get it wrong, but I just yeah. think Tim will be this too slick. Um, he's a chip off the old block in his father Kostya, um, and and I think Tim his confidence is sky after after fighting Horn, and I don't think his promoters would have set him up for the fight that would be too difficult difficult for him stylistically um, when they're trying to chase titles and world title fights. So uh, I think I think Tim will win quite easy. I reckon he might even be a stoppage in the eighth or ninth round, but yeah, I think it'll be a boxing exhibition. Tim will get behind the jab. Um, he'll move around really nice and and won't give this guy time to breathe. What about UFC, John? It's just taken off, hasn't it? It's been an extraordinary ride the past, say, 10 years or so. Oh, it's amazing. There's 4.2 billion reasons why it's been an amazing ride, Tim, with UFC. Uh, they've done a tremendous job, I think. Uh, just their style and how they promote, how they look after the fighters. Some might say they don't because the purses aren't as big as boxing. But if you look holistically on how many fighters they're in a roster and how and the pathways they create for younger fighters, especially young Australian fighters that you see now with, with oh, well, Alexander's not young or, or anymore and he's a world champion, but um, there's a guy by the name of Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy Cruz, I think his name is. And he, he just won in Abu Dhabi just lately. And um, um, yeah, he's providing a lot of, a lot of pathway opportunities for young fighters to actually make a living. So it's funny enough, you know, Mark Hunt's still got a court case with him, and but he's fighting uh, in boxing now, so he's gone back to his roots. So, um, but yeah, I think the UFC is a great model. It's an entertaining model to watch, and um, yeah, Dana White and, and all the all the crew uh, have to be commended for it. Okay, well, let's look at cars because um, are you actually intending to race again in 2021? Obviously, the world tipped upside down because of COVID. Tim, motor racing runs through my veins. I I am addicted. I've got a simulated home. I absolutely love it. Yes, I'll be racing again. I cannot wait for it. What category? I don't know just yet. But yeah, motor racing, look, how, how well did Formula One do over the last, what, three, four, five months to be able to still run a world championship, um, still go to multiple countries. They created an awesome bubble but I tell you, I tell you, the, I could not believe this. Lewis Hamilton never met one bit of trouble the whole season. The minute George Russell, a stand-in driver, because Lewis obviously contracted COVID, found two black cats in one race. I mean, first they got the tyres wrong, mundled up with Bottas. Poor Bottas, he never has any luck. Then And then young George goes out and then gets a puncture with, with 10 laps to go. I mean... This is this kid might not ever get a chance to win a Formula One race. We saw the winner of that race. It was his first win in ten years. So it, you just your heart really felt for young George. Um, Kenny drive magnificent driver, but wow, the Formula One was was super interesting this weekend. Um, and and plus last week with Grosjean and the crash and the fire. Yeah, I think motor racing is is live and back, and and I love it. John, that interview with Grosjean that was chilling, wasn't it? Oh, what an interview! And you know, it's funny enough. This is my worst nightmare. Uh, we touched on that. I do a bit of racing. Is getting caught in the car, trapped in the belts, and not being able to unbelt and and being caught in a fire. Um, yes, you have fire bombs inside the car, which throw out retardant. But um, he actually explained that that he actually gave up. There was, he, he tried to get out two or three times. Got mm-hmm. stuck in between the halo. And there's a neck device that goes around. You see Formula One drivers, they always pull out first thing they come out of the car. Um, and he said he, he just couldn't get out of the out of the car. And he sat down and then he thought about his kids. And he said, I have to fight and get out. And that was really, really chilling to hear and watch. Um, yeah. It just shows you when these guys get out there and race, as much as they put as much safety procedures as possible, um, they are risking their lives every time they get out there. 
Yeah, phenomenal. And look, uh, and many experts, people that know it like you and others, say just four years ago, if this kind of thing had happened, uh, we may be talking about his obituary, not his his phenomenal survival. Johnny, it's uh, it's a treat every Wednesday and Friday to chat on Afternoon Sport. Enjoy the rest of it. Uh, thanks, Shane. Thanks, Timmy. I can't wait for Friday. Hear from you boys soon. Good on you, mate. That's it for Afternoon Sport today. We'll be with you Monday to Friday every week. Hit subscribe on your podcast app so you don't miss it. A big thank you goes out to our guests, Lovemore Nardu and John Stephenson. Thank you also to our sponsors, O'Brien Beer, and of course the man that, well, Rudolf Nureyev was to dance what he is to podcast, Dan McHugh. We'll be back tomorrow afternoon with your daily dose of sports news. Can't wait, Shane. We'll see you then.